Welcome everyone to Sunday service at Ananda Village. It's nice to see everyone today. I'm Tiagi Lisa, and this is Nayaswami Anandi, and we're happy to be here with you today. So our reading this morning is from Rays of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. And today, finally, we get to go to How Devotees Rise. (laughs) Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. Last week, we asked the question, why do devotees fall? And we considered the downfall of Judas in this context. Jesus, in answer to Judas's criticism for allowing Mary to rub his feet with spikenard, a very costly ointment, said, The poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Jesus is saying here that there is one supreme injustice that needs eradication. Poverty, yes, but not of the material kind. Poverty in a spiritual sense. Divine blessings are not common in this world. They are extraordinary. When they come, we should give them priority above every other consideration. Never allow a moment of inner joy, for instance, to be set aside for lesser duties. Divine attunement is our highest priority. As Lahiri Mahashaya, the guru of Yogananda's guru, said, to listen to the heart's inner sound, Om, which issues from the very center of our being, is man's highest duty. Mary on this occasion was not communing in inner silence with Christ's spirit, as she had been when Martha urged that she be reproached by Jesus for not helping out in the kitchen. Mary this time was serving outwardly, but in a very different spirit from the restless fussing for which Jesus had reprimanded her sister Martha. Those who see a radical difference between the paths of action and meditation should understand this distinction. To serve in the right spirit is necessary, for only thereby can we overcome our karmic tendencies toward restless activity. The important thing is that the spirit be always inwardly focused, that in everything we do, we act in loving service to the Lord. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the third chapter, the state of freedom from action, that is of eternal rest in the spirit, cannot be achieved without action. No one by mere renunciation and outward non-involvement can attain perfection. Whenever the Spirit of God descends upon you, however, remember the words of Jesus, Me ye have not always with you. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. joy to be here, this wonderful reading to talk about. And I'll begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity, a book of poems and prayers by Yogananda. O Father, 
I pray that my storm-tossed soul may find the silver lining of thy presence behind the clouds of my indifference. May the moon of thy hope ever gleam upon my heart. Thy inner light slowly rises above the horizon of my mind. Mists of ignorance lift before the moonbeams of thy love. O Father of light, my sorrowing soul beholds, rejoicing thy shores of bliss. Well, it's nice to have this two-part, very valuable series, how, why devotees fall and now how we can rise. We have to realize that falling is inevitable. It's, we're going to fall. It's just the way it is. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to get into negativity. We're going to get caught by some negative emotion. That's not in question. The question is, how far do we fall and how long do we stay there? So it's also inevitable that we will rise. God is real. And the, teaching, the, the yogic teachings say that God's presence, his, the awareness of our oneness with God lives within us right here, right here. It's always there. It's as much in us now as it is in the masters. And our job is to completely unite ourselves with the awareness of that oneness with God. It's not just there. It's literally pulling us upward. It's a magnet of love. And so it seems like things should be fairly easy <laughs> with that great magnet reminding us that we're one with God. But God also gave us another magnet at the base of the spine the magnet of the kundalini, also called maya, also called Satan, this is a literal magnet that says, I'm separate. I'm not one. In fact, I don't even want to be one. I want to be unconscious. I want to be unaware. I want to be left alone to sleep here at the base of the spine. And that magnet is pulling us away from God. So we, we have both operating in us, and it depends on which direction we choose. And if we let down our upward-flowing energy, it is inevitable that we'll go down. But that doesn't matter. What matters is then that we remember what's true. When we're lost in a negative emotion or some kind of difficult karma, it's very, very real. But when we have moments of connecting with that light, we realize it's much, much more real. I'd like to share a story from the life of Ramatirtha. It's an extraordinary story that illustrates this. Ramatirtha was a great saint of India. He actually died at the age of 33, so he was quite young in all that he did. And he came to the United States in 1902. He was a sannyas, a renunciate, Traveled, without touching, traveled all around the world without touching money or carrying any baggage with him at all. And he was speaking in the United States from 1902 to 1904 on the Indian teachings. And people were very taken 
by his, his radiance. And so this woman, an older woman, made an appointment for him, uh, with him for counseling. And when she came in, he was meditating. And she sat down in the chair that was in front of him and figured she's supposed to start talking. So she begins to tell him the story of her life and all the sadness in her household. And she's weeping and she's going on and telling story after story of the pain and the suffering. And she's crying. He never opens his eyes. He's sitting there completely immobile in meditation. And she's lost in her story and she's crying and she's weeping. But after a while, she starts to think, who is this guy? I mean, he's not even, he's not even comforting me. There's no word of compassion. What a cold fish he is. Okay, so he continues to meditate and she continues to weep and talk. And now she's thinking, these Indians, they're so proud and arrogant and I don't know what I think about this at all. Well, she finishes her tale of sadness and stops talking. Ramatirta opens his eyes and he looks at her and he says, Mother, Om, Om. And this woman said, from the eyes of Ramakrishna, there dawned on me a new consciousness. She said, I felt myself to be the mother of the universe, the mother of all nations. She said, my joy never leaves me. I feel Om reverberating through my bones. That's counseling. That's spiritual counseling. Uh, but he, because of his realization, was able to transmit to her reality. She was in what she felt was very real, very painful. And with his divine blessing, she realized, no, that's not real. This is what's real. God is real. I had an experience this week that was much, much less exalted than that, but, but I think very important uh, on a level that I can share here. Um, I got a call from a woman who had been a guest here in the past, an old friend, and she wanted to come and have her Kriyas checked. Kriya, is, for those who don't know, is the technique that we use to magnetize our spine and brain for self-realization, for, for our oneness, discovering our oneness with God. And so I kind of sailed into the room expecting to check her Kriyas and that wasn't really what she wanted. She really had been going through a very, very hard time. Her life was very hard. What was happening now was very hard and she was really, really sad. She was weeping. I was, uh, I felt totally helpless. I I was so... uh, the, re- the reality of what she'd been through was so sad and I, I didn't know what I could do for her. And I was mumbling this and mumbling that and so we kind of worked our way through quite a bit of time. And just before she was ready to leave, I said, well, nothing had happened. I mean, nothing, nothing had been transmitted. <laughs> and then I said, well, let me check your Kriyas. And so she started to do her, her Kriya breath And it needed a a tiny bit of correction, but right away she got into the flow of Kriya. And she started doing Kriya, and it was really dramatic experience. Because she was so 
really on a toss on the stormy seas. And, and as she did her kriya, it was like a boat strengthening its keel, strengthening its rudder. It, she just started to gain inner, her inner center back. And she actually left smiling. And I, my greatest words of wisdom to her was, please do your kriyas. <laughs> she hadn't been doing them for a long time. And clearly, this was the power to bring us back to pulling away from that, those uh, seas of negativity at the base of the spine, the confusion, the sadness. It's all very real. There was, it was not trivial what she was saying, and yet there was a stronger part within her that she could tap into. About uh, 15 years ago, Swami Kriyananda was giving a talk down at our amphitheater. And during that talk, he had been serving Yogananda devotedly for about 50 years at that time. And during that talk, he said, recently I wondered if anything I've ever done has pleased Master. And uh, I felt such a sadness, so much poignancy in my heart. It was such a, here's the man who'd given every ounce of his life to his guru and was wondering had he pleased his guru, and I just felt very sad. That sadness lasted about a second. Swami said after that, he said, but when I had that thought, I realized it came from Satan. (laughs) Because Satan always tries to discourage us. That power I was talking about at the base of the spine, it's always there and it will use whatever means are possible. So when we feel that kind of pull of, I'm not being treated fairly. Oh, maybe I failed. Oh, I can never get anywhere. I'll never get anywhere on the spiritual path. That's not the truth. That's the voice of Satan. And it's a curious thing about the way our minds work. Swami, he's so usually there that when is it? There was like a dip. He went, no, I'm going back up. But that's not that common, is it? I mean, there are people who go through lifetimes. Probably all of us have done this, gone through lifetimes of noodling around around thoughts like that. Is my life a success? Am I pleasing? And so on. And I was thinking how curious it is when you think about your life and you think about things that have made you angry or you've been treated unfairly or you're in a sad mood. I mean, it's painful. It's like, it's like the kind of really painful. And you would think that you would want to not be there, right? But what do we do? Instead, we, we mull it over again. Why did I get angry? Well, of course I got angry because blah, blah, blah. Why am I so sad? And we go through it again and again. Um, Master Yogananda said that self-pity is like opium, He said, we think something happens and we think, oh, just a little bit of this self-pity, that'll relieve some of my suffering. But just like opium, it's addictive. You take a little bit of it and then you want more. And just like opium, it weakens you. So we have to be paying attention. Bharat was recently reading to me uh, something about, actually it wasn't recently, uh, it was actually quite a while ago. He read to me, Uh, something written by an animal communicator. And this animal communicator said that whenever we think thoughts, we're actually creating mental pictures. Um, 
And, and animals are not listening to your words. They're listening to your mental pictures. So he said, for example, postman is coming to the door, and in your mind, you're, you're picturing your dog biting the postman, and you're just going, don't bite the postman, don't bite the postman, don't bite the postman. And you're holding onto the dog, but what does the dog hear? The dog hears, bite the postman. <laughs> and there it goes about and does that. So in our house, somehow we've found this endlessly hilarious. I don't know why, but I'll say to Bharat, you know, please don't eat those cookies that I've left on the counter. <laughs> and he'll just go, eat the cookies, eat the cookies. <laughs> so, so we... <laughs> I mean, we've been actually doing this for years. <laughs> and we still laugh about it. Um, <laughs> but we can't trust our mind. It just doesn't know what it's doing. We want to tune in to, are we going in the direction of pain? Or are we going in the direction of light? In Swami Kriyananda's autobiography, The New Path, he, ta- he, he has a very simple story, which has had a huge impact on my life. He talks about a time he was with Master, he was probably 23 years old, and very early days at Mount Washington, and he kind of got into this thought, I don't think Master really loves me. And he kind of, really kind of, that made him very sad, and he kind of went with that, Master doesn't really love me, and then then he tried to pull himself out by logic, and tried to think, well, of course he loves me, and then the other part, that's not that smart, jumps in and says, well, yeah, he loves everyone, but he sees that you're just a hopeless case, and it's just (laughs) no point. Anyway, so he just was digging himself deeper and deeper into this, trying to use his thought. It didn't work. And so then he had the thought, okay, I have to bring my mind back to the spiritual eye. And he went to his meditation room, and he said for five minutes, he concentrated as deeply as he could. And in five minutes, the whole miasma was vaporized. It just, it just went away. So oftentimes when, when a person is giving Sunday service or a talk, there's a subject that you're talking about, often God gives you like a little experience during the week so that you can prepare for the talk in real time, so to speak, in real life. And so this past week, uh, actually Friday, um, Something happened, and uh, I, was, I was feeling very tired, and something happened, and I, I lost my temper. Lost my temper. And, uh, and it felt terrible, as it always feels when you lose your temper. It's sort of toxic. And, um, and so I thought, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm really tired. I just need to lie down. And so I lay down, and I, I was sort of there, and I still had the toxicity of this thing floating around, and I thought, okay, I can spend time uh, assessing the fact of why it made a lot of sense for me to lose my temper and I was fully justified in losing my temper. I could do that. Or I could get guilty about the fact that I lost my temper because I've been meditating for a really long time and I shouldn't. (laughs) I shouldn't have lost my temper. Or... And this is what happened because of this reading. The reading in my mind had been the question, how long are you going to stay there? And so I said, okay, how long do you want to stay down? And I said, not at all. And so then I 
I just, as I lay there, I just, you know, all the toxic leftover stuff is there, and I just pulled my mind here and just continued to offer my mind here, visualizing a light and just saying, this is what's real. I refuse to stay in guilt. I refuse to stay in anger. Why? Might as well go back to the light. And in that moment, it, it all shifted. I began to feel filled with gratitude. And I just felt like, you know, these teachings, they work. They work. It's not a question of who's using them. It's a question of if we remember to use them. So uh, recently, Naya Swami Jyotish was giving um, a talk on happiness. And he said, he was talking about, I think, four or five secrets of happiness. And the first one was about happiness. You have to want happiness, which seemed like kind of, well, everybody wants happiness. But that's not true. What he was saying is, you have to really want happiness. You have to be willing to give up your ego. You have to be giving, uh, willing to give up the desire to be right. You have to be willing to give up your habits of thinking negative thoughts about yourself. You have to say no. More than any of that, I want happiness. Ramakrishna described it by saying that if you want to cross the ocean of delusion, you have to take your boat, which is tied to the pier, you have to untie the boat, you have to lift the sail, and you have to catch the wind. And what that meant is the untying means letting go of your attachment to your ego, to your preferences. You lift the sail of your devotion and your attunement to God, and it catches the winds of God's grace, and that's what takes you to self-realization. God's grace will take you to self-realization, but you have to do the work to make yourself ready to catch that attunement. Swami explained it, the same idea, in, in a way that to me has been even more picturesque. <laughs> Because we talked about this magnet at the spiritual eye, this, this, uh, this presence of God's love that's always there, pulling us. It's pulling us, but we're resisting. We're resisting. And so what we have to do, he said, when you can finally let go of your attachments to ego, when your meditation, your devotion, your Kriya Yoga practice has freed up the energy to be in your spine, to be free to flow upward, you don't have to try to find God. God will bring you toward him. His magnet of love will lift you and you will effortlessly flow toward him. Master said, I didn't, uh, it wasn't master. Master said that God told him, God told me, I didn't create this world for, for people to indulge in their emotions. I created this world of temptation so that they would find me more tempting than any other thought, any other feeling. In this reading today uh, that Lisa just read, he said at one point, divine, divine blessings are not ordinary. They're extraordinary. They're very, very important. And I was thinking about us and the, the, our online people, and I suspect that most of us here could think of a time where we'd felt a divine blessing. And that blessing is real. 
we have out in the world. We have the problems and the challenges and the interpersonal things and the intrapersonal things, and it's all real. The divine blessing is more real. And our job is to keep that alive. So often in my life, I remember moments where I felt it lifted to some heavenly thought, lifted to some divine feeling, consciousness changed by the grace of God. Those are real. Those are real. We want to keep them alive. We want to, when things don't seem so good, we want to live in that consciousness and use that consciousness to pull ourselves toward divine freedom, toward self-realization, which is our birthright. So let's just take a few moments and reflect on that. <clears throat> 